And we're back getting ready to take that vacation, or are we? Some people don't take a vacation for a whole bunch of reasons. We're going to talk about why it's important to do something to take a vacation with Dr. Frieda Birnbaum, psychoanalyst, psychologist, researcher, and a whole lot more. Good morning, Dr. Frieda Birnbaum. Good morning to you. Welcome back. Doctor, Thank you so much. Why is it important to take a vacation? Well, you know, uh, when we're working and our mindset is to be productive, we don't realize that that is not all there is. So we are going ahead, feeling we're making the boss happy, uh, we're doing the right thing, uh, we're bringing money into the family. But the downside is that we just get worn out, we get depleted, uh, we don't have the momentum we had before, and we don't even have the productivity. We don't do as well as we would have done if we go on vacations. And, you know, there's even uh, places uh, of work where they demand you take time off while you're working. A Google company, Microsoft, these new, the, the other new technologies, these are not new. Uh, they really reinforce playtime during work. So it's extremely important to have that kind of separation about objectivity uh, and what's important in life. So uh, Americans actually work more than anyone. Other countries, they have the holiday, which is a month or two off every summer. Uh, the shops close down. Also in Europe, uh, during lunchtime, uh, the shops close down completely and people take off a few hours. So we have a, a different mindset and we really need to reinforce uh, the differences in our society and start changing. But yet a lot of people don't. Um, there's a startling statistic, 54, 54% of Americans end the year with unused vacation time. That's crazy. It is, and the sad part of it is that, do you know that people who take more vacations get the promotions? So think about that. You're not even getting what you think you're getting. Uh, they are thought of in a more positive way at work, and they are respected more because they take care of themselves. So it's a win situation. Now, when you do go on vacation, it takes a, a while to detox. If you go to the beach, let's say, and you see people laying there in the sun, it takes about three days to feel that you could be part of that because you're not into not being productive. And you're thinking, why are they just laying there and doing nothing? But uh, when you come back to work, you wonder, how did I do all this? There's so much. So there's this middle ground that needs to be looked at where you can really feel that when you are away, you are away more often, and it doesn't become something you have to really get comfortable with because you're used to doing it already. So it's very important to have that rhythm of knowing that you're scheduling every year, you schedule beforehand the, the whole year what you're going to do, where you're going to go. You have an anticipation for it, which is also important. It's not only the vacation itself, but knowing that things are going to change for you within a certain amount of time. And that helps, and that even prolongs 
the emotional aspect of going on a vacation. So all these things are good. And then we're talking about stress-related uh, symptoms, um, cardiovascular symptoms, uh, anything that uh, brings uh, the body down, the immune system down is affected when you don't have that time off. Again, though, uh, some people don't. And I, I think that's kind of interesting to me that um, they're somehow afraid to take a vacation. They're afraid, but, you know, the truth is this. If they feel that something's going to happen, that they're going to miss out, we live in a time where technology helps us. We can bring our computers with us, our phones with us. Uh, we can really think out of the box, and we can go ahead and even do a better job because what percentage of most fields, most jobs, are through technology? We don't have that face-to-face -face contact that we used to have. You know, offices are, are, are not even being used. Uh, people don't get dressed up, and they don't have the kind of meetings they used to have. So it's not nine to five at the job, uh, and then you go home anyway. And a lot of people work from the home. They have, uh, they built their own office, and they are actually, you know, on uh, semi-retirement, so to speak. So times have changed, and the meaning of vacation is different. You're not really necessarily leaving a place of work, but if you are, there are technologies that you could take with you if needed. I don't recommend it, but there are ways you could do that as well. Because it's not really healthy, at least I don't think so, to take that computer or to take that tablet or cell phone with you, is it? It's better not. It's better not. But if you feel that that's the way you'll feel comfortable going somewhere, then you're better off taking it than not going at all. So there are options uh, that you can have. Guess where I am right now? Where? I'm on vacation. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, I'm at Woodlock Lake. Do you know where that is? No. You do? No. No. It's a beautiful resort uh, in Pennsylvania, um, and it's all-inclusive. I don't have to cook. I don't have to do anything. I brought my kids, um, and it's just a getaway. I called the last minute, and they gave me a beautiful house. But the, the important part of it is I'm talking to you, and I'm able to also go hiking in the afternoon and doing what it is that I want to do. So the point is, yes, you're right, it's better not to. Uh, of course, I love talking to you, and this is fun for me. But if you have to uh, continue working, you're still better off. So there's not really any major excuse that you can have uh, for people to say, my employer will like me more, I'm more cohesive with the people that I work with if I don't go away. That's not true. If anything, the other people would like the same thing you like. And what's interesting is the millennials, uh, this new generation that are changing the way the world thinks compared to the baby boomers who did say, you know, work as much as you can, get the biggest cars, uh, the biggest house, and uh, make the most money. Well, things are changing now, and they're saying, no, we want to you know, work in order to live, and we'd rather have the time to enjoy the, our life 
than to get that gold watch at the end. A good philosophy, I think. But sometimes you can't afford to take a vacation. Time issues aside, sometimes the cash just isn't there. Do you have any suggestions? But you're right. Uh, A vacation of mine doesn't have to be uh, going to a resort. A vacation of mine can be that this is my time to do what I want. And as I said, if you have to do work, that's okay. But you're still not you know, boxed into the everyday scheduling. And I'm talking about a break, a mental break, that you can sleep late. Uh, You can go out to dinner, uh, you know, with your wife or by yourself if you prefer, whatever. Um, You can do things that are different. And, and, you know, they say, what is that word? Um, Not a vacation, but when you stay home and you do things. A staycation. (laughs) Staycation, you know, especially in the summer, I never understood. It's so beautiful in this area. Why people have to go anywhere? It's just magnificent. The weather, uh, the beaches. You can go away for a day. You don't have to sleep over. Uh, You know, there are trails to to hike on. Just to be in nature is the best part of uh, a vacation. Anyway, it's not about the eating. Which is not which we're eating too much anyway lately. America is one of our most obese societies that we have, um, and so those kind of things and that kind of attitude is really something that does not involve money. It involves a state of mind. It involves not feeling guilty. A walk in the park on your own timing is something that's more precious than going anywhere or getting on a plane for hours and sitting there uh, to go to another location when you have something around you that can be just as beautiful or more beautiful. So it's really about getting out in nature. It's about letting go, peace of mind, and taking yourself into a different schedule so you don't have the mundaneness of life every time. Otherwise, Depression can quickly set in when there's hopelessness. So you have to always have a game plan of something to look forward to and changes. And, you know, every five years of our lives, we need to reassess ourselves anyway and make changes. Things don't stay the same. You may want to go into a different field. You may want to move somewhere else. Maybe you may want to fix your relationship or have a relationship or get out of the relationship, whatever it is. Changes need to be made. And when you feel stuck, a lot of people come in to see me because they have depressive episodes. And that's only because they feel either guilty or they feel that they should. You know, when we're young, we're often told, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to be. Even if it's not, there's not a fit. And when we're older, when that authority is no longer telling us, we still hear those voices and we act on it, and we have to get away from those voices to finally go back to our youth and be who we are. So this is something that's very important and essential to reassess ourselves every few years and go ahead and keep growing because if you don't evolve, then your life loses its meaning. You have to keep reassessing not only who you are, but the joys in your life, and that means vacations, that means having fun. Are you joyless every day? Do you enjoy your job? Do you have a passion for what you do? 
And the millennials are saying, yes, that's even more important. They'd rather get along with their coworkers. They'd rather like their boss. And they are brave enough to go from job to job. Now, you would tell me, well, the jobs are scarce. And people need money to live and to pay their mortgage or rent or whatever. But if you have that kind of mindset, then you can go ahead and make it happen and have more joyful experiences when you're in, on vacation without having guilt and when you're not on vacation uh, because if you love what you do, then it does not even feel as if you're working. And I know that's how you feel about what you're doing. Absolutely. And now, Dr. Frieda, I want you to stay with us. I have to run a few commercials sure. to be able to afford that vacation. But we'll be back uh, in just a bit. And you're listening to 94WIP. My name's Peter Solomon. We'll be back after these messages. And we're back. We're talking the importance of vacation with Dr. Frieda Birnbaum, psychoanalyst, psychologist, researcher, advice giver, and a whole lot more. My name's Peter Solomon. You know, Dr. Frieda, as we were talking, I remembered back to when my wife was pregnant with our youngest, and she was on bed rest, and it was summer, and I desperately needed a vacation because there was a whole lot of stress going on, and I couldn't take one, obviously, because I needed to be around for her. So what I did was I took half days off from work, and I went to the movies, five or six movies in a row, art films that I wouldn't order to go see, and it was a wonderful time. And it helped me recharge. Absolutely. And when you do something like this and you think for yourself and you know what it is you need and you're in touch with yourself, you know, that helps you to be in touch with other things in your life as well. Because everything is repetition in your life. You do one thing one way, all of a sudden you think everything is working for you by some sheer luck. That's not true. So it's a mindset. It's a way of thinking. And when you're doing something and you're not looking to see if you're doing it right for other people, but if you're doing it right for yourself, well, eventually you're doing it right for everyone. So with you and your wife, you were better to her as well, and you were feeling not guilty for enjoying yourself. And we live in a society often. When you do that, when you take care of yourself first, the word selfish comes in. But really, uh, the right word is selfless because you're taking that void. You have a void in your life. You can't really give. You deplete it. A lot of people have this void where they, it's impossible for them to give. And so, you, of course, you have to, just like on the airplane, they say, go ahead and put that, that air oxygen on yourself first. That's the way you have to live your life and not to forget that 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 is a way to go ahead and take care of your wife, as you said, make the right decisions for whatever that is you need to do, because it's the little things in life that make the huge difference. So you can't really avoid that. You have to keep connecting to what it is, even if you say it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal because that's going to make the difference. So it's the momentum that we have, the insight that we have for ourselves, and not to have those voices tell us we're doing the wrong thing. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. That's the only way it is. That's the only way it is. So when you hear other voices telling you, no, I want this, I want that, that's somebody else. You have to detach from that and think, you know, what is best? And this is a prime example what you gave. 
You went to the movies. Now, if you would ask someone else if you should do that, they could easily have said, no, don't do it. Your wife needs you. But you knew what you needed. And that's where people need to go. They need to stay centered. They need to know themselves. And that's not easy. A lot of people, a lot of your listeners, don't even know what it is that they want because they haven't given themselves that opportunity. So allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to have this sense of entitlement is extremely important. And people who don't do that, especially women, are often hysterical. That's where the word hysteria comes from. They overreact. They scream. They're whatever. They don't feel in control. But when you have that sense of entitlement, uh, then you can be someone who can listen to yourself and you'll be heard from other people as well. Good advice from Dr. Frieda Birnbaum, and it's always a pleasure to have Dr. Frieda with us here on WIP Sunday. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And we'll be back after these messages as we come back to the final segment of WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon, the WIP Time, 726. And we're back. My name's Peter Solomon. It's WIP Sunday, Memorial Day weekend, 2017. You're getting ready for vacation. If you're not already there, and maybe one of the things you want is a good book. And I've got a good book for you, something to consider no matter what your age. You may remember the movie Driving Miss Daisy. Well, I've got Driving Miss Norma to suggest to you. And I'm pleased to welcome here to find out who Miss Norma was and a whole lot more. Tim Birnbaum, one of the authors of the new book, Driving Miss Norma. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, Peter. Who is Miss Norma? Miss Norma is uh, someone I had discovered at age 90. It was my mother, who I had really never gotten to know during my youth, and uh, I was fortunate after her, after her uh, decision to drive, drive with us on the road to uh, get to know. What led up to that decision, though? I mean, 90-year-olds very often just want the rocking chair and a cup of tea. She yeah. wanted something well, else. Well, let me tell you the story. My wife and I, Ramey, we have been traveling. We call ourselves professional nomads. We've been traveling pretty much full-time since 2011. And one of our stops every year is uh, to visit my elderly parents in northern Michigan. And as they were getting older, we kept going up there and, and avoiding having what we call the talk, you know, asking them what they would like to do if one or both of them were unable to keep the house or one of them died. Uh, we avoided that talk until 2015 when we rolled in the driveway and found my dad in a health crisis. And, in fact, he died 10 days later. And in the midst of that, my mom was uh, diagnosed with ovarian cancer two days after after he died. So we had a decision to make whether to uh, put her in a nursing home situation or, like a lot of families do, they ask them to come come live with them. And we did that, and my mom knew that we our home had wheels, and she still made a decision to... Uh, to spend the rest of her days with us on the road. Ow. It had to hurt, though, on some level. Here's mom. She's got a cancer. They can do things for cancer, but she chose something else. Yes. Yes, she refused traditional treatment. At age 90, the doctors uh, prescribed a course of treatment was a hysterectomy followed by radiation and chemo and and, uh, rehabilitation centers and maybe a nursing home. He did not paint a very rosy picture of her last, uh, last time here on the earth. So I, I don't think it was a very hard decision for her to to, uh, to refuse the treatment, but uh, it was a great big decision for her to decide where she wanted to be for those last those last days. 
Did she say why she wanted to be with you and your wife? Um, no, she, my mom was very tight-lipped, a stoic. She was a product of her time. She, she grew up during the Great Depression. She volunteered for the Navy in World War II. She uh, raised kids and, and was the housewife. She was very, uh, very much in the shadow of my father. She didn't, she didn't articulate a lot of things. No, our, our experience on the road, things came out very subtly, organically. I mean, you could ask some questions and things, but it, situations would arise where, where things would come out of her mouth. She did not really articulate why, what, what, why she made the decision. But I, I, I can tell. I, 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 we've we had her at one of those facilities, and it's not a very, the nursing homes aren't a very, very, very bright prospect for your future. So I, I think, despite any kind of fear she might have been had about going on the road with us, was was ameliorated once she she saw her alternatives. What was your image though of your mother before all this happened? Again, I, a quiet woman that uh, was always in the shadow. My father, who had a, had a larger personality, he was the, the funny one. Uh, I would call home, you know, every couple of months, and they'd be both be on the phone, and I'd have to I'd have to inquire if, if that breathing I heard on the other end of the line was my mom or not. She she was very 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 quiet person until until my dad died and and she got the diagnosis, and I, I guess that's sort of like a permission to. Uh, to live your life the way you want it now, you have you 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 have a see a finite amount of time left in your life, and and you either are going to develop to be your fullest person or you're not. You know, I, I wish most people, I wish more people would realize that you know the end game of life is death, and and you shouldn't wait till you do get a cancer diagnosis or or until you're very old before you start start living life. But there had to be a whole house and a whole bunch of memories to pack up and deal with before she could go on the road with you. Interestingly enough, uh, Peter, I, uh, we just we we gave her a goal. We said, let's just try this for a year. We'll just we'll just close up the house. We'll turn off the water, drain the pipes, take what you want, and, and we'll just leave for a year. And we'll come back and revisit it. And my mom actually took nothing from the house. She she ordered at age ninety. She's ordering new clothes from LL Bean for the trip, <laughs> and uh, she just grabbed some of her uh, nature books and a pair of binoculars, some puzzles. But, but no personal items, and she, yeah, you're right. She closed up a house of 30 years with every bit of memory that, that she had and, and, and embarked on a whole, new, a whole new life, a whole new adventure. And how did you travel? Travel. Travel is yeah. a, a wonderful antidote for many ales. But what kind of car or vehicle? I mean, it had to be crowded. Well, Ramey and I, we originally we had been traveling in a 19-foot Airstream, those little silver bullets you see around and obviously that wouldn't work for mom. So we offered to buy a, a new motorhome. We, we bought a 36-foot motorhome with a couple of slide-outs. has a bath and a half and, and you know, sleeping arrangements for, for both of us and, and our, our 73-pound poodle, Ringo. So we, we switched from a travel trailer to a motorhome, and that, that helped out a lot. But still, you're right, it, it's, it's confined spaces. And uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure our tight quarters helped us get to know each other a lot better. I would imagine there were times, though, you got on each other's nerves. Well, that, that's what the dog's for. You can go, you can go take the dog for a walk <laughs> if things get tight. Um, my wife and I have traveled that way. We have, we have no problems with it. It, it. You, When there's a problem, you tend to rally together to, to overcome the problem because you're working as a team. You're on the road. You're not, you're not in your own, your own comfort zone of a, your own home or your, your neighborhood. So it actually, I think it helped us. It helped us grow together.
And you're listening to WIP Sunday here on 94 WIP All Sports Radio. We're talking with Tim Bauerschmidt. He is author of the new book, along with his wife, Driving Miss Norma. It's about the experience of going on the road with his 90-year-old mother who was in the final stages of her life. Now, Tim, I need you to stay with me. I've got to run a few commercials. We'll be back in just a bit. You bet. And we're back. It's WIP Sunday, and we're talking about going on the road. In this case, Tim Bauerschmidt and his wife going on the road with Tim's mother, Miss Norma. Miss Norma in the ending years of her life and how the three of them bonded in a very exceptional way. My name's Peter Solomon. Tim, I remember an old commercial. Mother, please, I'd rather do it myself. (laughs) Any of those moments between Miss Norma and your wife? No, no, we we had. I don't know if you're talking about my mom's intervention or my wife and I. Our action with my mom. We we worked as a team. Ramey and I. When when one when when my mom needed a certain thing, one of us was there. My mom was more comfortable talking to Ramey about her uh, her feminine problems. She had a, a she had a tumor above her uterus that mm-hmm. caused her to bleed. And uh, she didn't like to discuss that too much. And I don't know if you wanted to talk about it, Peter, but we had a, a chance to visit Colorado and address that problem in an alt- with some alter- alternative medicines that improved my mom's quality of life for the trip. Well, I was going to ask how you dealt with your mother's health issues if there were ever problems. Yes. My mama had been on pain medication. She also has osteoarthritis, and she had been taking tramadol, an opi- opioid, for three times a day for I don't know how long, and we found it was really affecting her, her lifestyle, her quality of life. We would notice that she would be dizzy or tired falling asleep <laughs> in the motorhome, and we didn't know if that was a function of being a 90-year-old woman or, or, or something else, and we, we isolated it to those pharmaceuticals that she was taking. And so while we were in Colorado, we, we went to a cannabis shop and were able to uh, convince my mother that she might want to try something else, and we replaced her opiates with, with CBD oil. And uh, four days after she started the CBD oil regimen, she stopped bleeding, and she had, she had a pain-free life until the end of her life. So we got rid of all the, the pharmaceuticals and replaced them with the, the cannabis products, and my mom had an improved quality of life. Well, it's not the answer for everyone. You're certainly making no, no, and we we state that it is not the answer for everyone. But for my, our goal, our goal, Peter, for this whole thing was to give my mom a quality end of life, quality over quantity. And if she wasn't enjoying, if she wasn't able to uh, enjoy life as it was going by because she was over medicated by by the traditional pharmaceuticals, we felt an obligation to explore other options. We didn't coerce her to do this. We asked her to if she'd like to try it. And my mom, my mom was always an herbalist, and she always grew, grew medicinal herbs and things, not, not marijuana, but things she, she, she knew about tinctures and things like that being from, from an older farm family. So she was open to the idea. And, and for our family, I'm just telling you, for our family, Peter, it was a godsend. It, it really, it really um, it improved her quality of life and improved our experience together. How did you make the decision where you were going? That was pretty organic. Uh, my mom had, she didn't have a bucket list per se, but uh, she did articulate uh, that she wanted to see Mount Rushmore. She said she wanted to see the president's heads, and it might have been because she's uh, patriotic and, and she likes the outdoors and, and there's some geology involved. I don't know what, what it was, but we made that our first goal. 
and uh, she was very proud to buy her senior uh, National Parks Pass, and so we just rolled with that. We headed down to uh, Yellowstone and, and Tetons and down to Grand Canyon and Rocky Mountain National Park. We hit a lot of the parks, and as we went, I don't, I don't know, um, as our Facebook following increased, we started getting invitations from people all over the country, and so we kind of let that guide us as well. We would accept invitations to visit people, to have dinner with them, to go do something with them, to see their see their community, and and we just kind of just floated that way. It, it really was organic. We had no no agenda, and I think that was the success of our trip. We had really no agenda, other than to have a good time. Having a good time is certainly important, but it also takes money. How did you pay for all this? Well, Peter, I, it was it. We could have taken Mom on the road with us. Uh, at no extra cost. My wife and I, um, we've been frugal our whole lives. We we are debt-free, have been debt-free. We had no family. We eschewed a lot of the things that uh, a lot of people get sucked into as far as monetary. So we, we would take a small stipend from our investments and travel, and we realized that mom could come along basically for free. But the thing that we couldn't, what we couldn't ignore was the fact that it was $8,400 a month for a nursing home in my mom's community. That was $260 a day. And, and Ramey and I, no, no matter what we've done in our travels, we've never come anywhere close to $260 a day. So what we did is we took our, our little money and, and we brought mom along and we used her Social Security for uh, some improved campgrounds. From, you know, My wife and I like to boondock, if you will, uh, at uh, Walmart Supercenters or on National on public land, and so we would take take some of her money and stay at a little nicer place because she would need need a little more comfort. And we would do the things like the big things we did, like the, the hot air balloon ride or zip lining or things that things that no, normally we wouldn't pay for. But it truly was a, a much less uh, expensive experience than the nursing home, and certainly more enriching than a two hundred sixty dollar day of just being being wrapped up in bubble wrap and protected against any kind of danger. Now, wait a minute. You said ziplining. Did Miss Norma go ziplining? Miss Norma did go ziplining. Wow. <laughs> yes. She did a lot of things. She went horseback riding, ziplining. Uh, that took a hot air balloon ride. We've had, uh, we toured the USS Gerald R. Ford, the new, newest, greatest uh, aircraft carrier in our naval fleet. We went to a, a pro basketball game. Uh, many, many things. Like I said, people were were going out of their way to extend invitations to my mom to to give her joy, and, and they got joy watching it. What did you learn about your mother as the trip unfolded? I learned that, I really, that my mom, it sounds, it sounds funny, but I learned that my mom had a, had a personality, had her own personality. Like I said, she was always in the shadow of my father, and I never knew that she had wit and humor and, 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 and a personality. She, was, she had a, a sparkle in her eye and, and mischief and everything that a person should have, but I never, ever saw it until age 90. It was the most incredible thing to experience. So many people lose their mothers not knowing who they were. Yeah. They were the lady who cooked and cleaned yeah. and took our temperature when we weren't feeling well. Yeah. And not knowing beyond that what they thought, what they cared about, what their political persuasion was, and why mm-hmm. they thought that way. Mm-hmm. This is true. Yeah, most people wait. They wait to get the call that their loved one is, is in, a, in a medical situation. They're in, hooked up to something. There's beeping lights and 
noises and everybody, all the family rushes from different parts of the country. And then in that last week, in this really stressful situation, everybody tries to to get everything off their chest, get their feelings off their love, their everything, and it shouldn't be that way. I, I was I was really truly blessed to be able to spend a whole year on on, on having this unfold rather than than experience it the way that uh, a lot of people do. Is the story over? It is not over. We our our Facebook following is increasing. It just keeps going up and up. We have almost 528,000 people following us right now, and Ramey and I are on what we call a, a Say Yes tour. It's not really a book tour as much as a spreading the love message tour. We, we have been to some bookstores, but we've also been to churches and restaurants. And In fact, we're going to be at the Easton Public Market uh, on June 3rd at 3 p.m. to uh, give a presentation and to take questions. We find that uh, we have had hundreds of people come to see us at these events, and they have lots of questions. and. It's a great interaction between uh, us and, and people that are wanting to kind of maybe do the same thing or even just want to explore other possibilities of end-of-life decisions, and it's been wonderful. So, no, it does, it's not ending. We, we, people have said that we still need to spread this message of love and hope, and, and, and so that's what we're doing. But it's, it, it's really not over. I thought, I thought for sure when my mom died that it would be over, but it, it's, there's something... There's a need. There's a. We're finding that people. There are a lot of people that have a, have a hole in their heart. There's a need for, for this message of hope and love, and, and and we're. I guess we we feel like we feel obligated to uh, to continue spreading that message. But your mom died. What happened? I uh, she died in the motorhome, Peter. She was uh, just a few feet away from me. And we were on San Juan Island. We were continuing our adventure. We went to San Juan Island to, to see the whales and the orcas and uh, visit with some friends there. And we were going to continue on down to California to see the redwood trees. But a couple of weeks into our, our stay on San Juan Island, Mom's health started declining. And we, we, knew, we knew right then that this was going to be her last stop. And uh, it was a couple more months. We, we were able to uh, get hospice assistance and... Uh, we were able to give her a very peaceful, wonderful transition right there in the motorhome, what she considered home. She always wanted to die at home, and, and fortunately, it wasn't very long through the trip that she started referring to the motorhome as her home. So I think I, I fulfilled her, her wish of dying peacefully at home. What a tremendous gift you gave her. Yes. And a gift she gave me. It, it, it was mutual, for sure. But at the same time, the motorhome must seem a little bit empty. The motorhome, yeah, it was hard to pack up and, and move down the road without her in the beginning. Uh, we had given her the master suite of the motorhome, if you will, the, where there was a bed, a queen bed in the back, a dedicated bed. My wife and I slept on the, the fold-out couch in the front for all those times. But now we're sleeping, yeah, we're actually sleeping in the bed that my mom died in. And I'm actually sleeping on the side of the bed where she, she, she laid most of the time and. There are some mornings, Peter, where I wake up and I, I can kind of feel her presence there as I'm leaning and looking out the window like she did. I, I can feel her there in, in, in the bed with me. What do you want us to get from the book? We finished reading it. What do you want us to think, to know? Well, again, the success of our, of our story and our, and our Facebook page and everything is, is that we had no agenda. We did not tell people what to do or how to think. Uh, we just presented our lives as it was. Uh, 
one would think that our story would be just attracting people that, are, that have cancer or that just lost their spouses of, of 67 years or, or adult children that want to take care of elderly parents. But we find that people are coming to our story from many other angles. We, ha we had an agoraphobic woman that wrote to us and said that, well, if Miss Norma can, can seize life like this, I, I can at least go out and walk around the block. And she wrote back the next day, hey, I did, I, I walked around the block. And she kept up with that, and we lost track of her. And then recently we got a, another message from her, and she said, I, I, I've been walking for, for months, and I've lost 42 pounds. Thank you. So there's, there's people like that. There's, there's, a young, there's a young gay man that was a 16-year-old that was afraid to come out to his family, and yet he found courage in a 90-year-old woman for himself. So I, I'm, I'm telling you that I, we can't tell people what they're going to get out of this book. Everybody is, everybody is finding what they need in this book. It, it's truly a, a book of inspiration. It, it's not a rehash of our Facebook page or anything. It, it's a, truly a memoir of, of inspiration and hope for everyone that, that has, that's living, that's breathing. And how do we find the Facebook page? The Facebook is Driving Miss Norma. Right on Facebook, we have drivingmissnorma.com, which has links to uh, booksellers and to our travel schedule. And uh, has, has, uh, you'll, find things, you'll find reviews. Uh, we've had wonderful reviews from Publishers Weekly and Kirkus Reviews, and we get five-star Amazon reviews on the book. There's, but Driving Miss Norma on Facebook or drivingmissnorma.com, those will get you to, uh, to, uh, to us. And I'd like to say thank you to Tim Bauer-Schmidt for the life he gave his mother and the life he tells us is possible. Thank you, Tim Bauer-Schmidt. Hey, thank you, Peter. My pleasure. The book, Driving Miss Norma. And you've been listening to WIP, 94 WIP, WIP Sunday. My name's Peter Solomon. Stay tuned for Sports Talk with Sunny Hill. Always interesting and provocative discussion in the living room. Your opinions, Sunny's reactions, I know I'll be listening. Thank you to Phil Jackson, this morning's producer, and to Ann Tideman-Solomon, my dear wife and associate producer. Couldn't do the show without either one of you. Thank you. Nothing left to say, but enjoy Memorial Day weekend, 2017. Eat a hot dog for me, some watermelon maybe, and iced tea. See you soon.